Amen. Boy, that choir looks great, doesn't it? God is good all the time. Talks about his character and his qualities. Wow. And unconditional love. Thank you so much for being here at First Baptist Church, Sun City West. We thank you for taking the time and the opportunity to come. And I hope if this is your very first time that you'll fill out the guest card that's a few in front of you and drop it in one of the offering boxes. We would certainly appreciate that. You'll notice in your bulletin that um, we have our week of prayer for North American missions. North American missions, uh, we have some close to 5,000 uh, missionaries around the North American continent uh, investing and engaging in communication of the gospel, of church planning, evangelism, and uh, we want to be there to support both in prayer and financially. So in, in there you will find the, uh, the week of prayer pamphlet that talks about every single day of devotion. You'll see an envelope and a special offering specifically for the Annie Armstrong uh, Easter offering for North American missions. 100% of those funds go directly to the field and they represent us. So I hope that you will do everything that you can. You'll hear more about it through a video, but I wanted to explain what you have in your bulletin. Let's pray together and then let's continue to sing, okay? Father, thank you for the time and the opportunity that you've given us to come this morning. We know and are excited that you love us. Well, Father, if, uh, if it weren't for your unconditional love, we would not be celebrating the Lord's Supper today. Because of your death, your burial, and your resurrection, we have the opportunity to have life and life everlasting, everyone who would call upon your name. And so, Father, today, as we focus our attention upon being your people and observing the Lord's Supper, God, we would listen, we would come with a pure heart, and God, we would respond because you are good and you are love. We have the ability to be good and to have unconditional love for others. And I pray, God, through the power of your Spirit that you will help us in that way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed Savior, we adore thee. Glorious is thy name. Would you stand as we sing together?
seated as we continue singing a couple of scripture songs. The first one, based on the passage from which Dr. Kennedy will be speaking today. For you are a chosen generation. We live in a Christian nation. That's what some people say. Maybe that's why they often ask, why do we need missionaries here? There are places in North America where there are very few churches. People are very open to conversation, but nine times out of 10, they have not heard of Jesus. There is no pastors, there is no people can share the gospel with them. There's lives that can be made whole with the gospel. And we're watching God change people's hearts and change people's lives. But I wish people knew how many more laborers we need in the mission field, because it's more than we can handle. 
Church planting is hard. We just got to work together. We can do more together than we can do apart. We need all the help that we can get, and that's what Annie does. It allows for more laborers to come here. The Annie Armstrong Easter offering unites us all, big and little, young and old, black and white. We all give because we know that when we do, our communities will look more like this. And we all give because we know there's a name and a face on the other side of that gift. This offering, this gift that we're giving to and that everyone else is giving to, it does have a face. It's my face. This is the body. This is the body of Christ. That's what any Armstrong means to me. Most gracious Heavenly Father, you are loving, sovereign, faithful, righteous. We are honored to be here today, Lord, to serve you and to worship you. Lord, I just thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for these missionaries that serve you, <laughs> that put everything else aside and serve you in such mighty ways. We are so grateful for their faithfulness to you. Lord, you continue to pour out your blessings on us each and every day. We are so thankful that we can be here today to worship you without fear. There's so many people around the world, Lord, that are hurting right now, suffering, not only physically, mental, spiritual, but they're, they're lost. They are in the darkness, Lord. We just pray that each and every one of these missionaries, as well as us, Lord, here in our communities, that we can spread your light and your love. Father, I ask that as, the, as your sweet spirit fills this place, that you will fill Dr. Kennedy with your words, words, Lord, that will change us words that will reach our heart and make us more like you. Father, we, we just, I, I'm, my words are not always good, Lord, but I pray that you will always hear my heart and know that we love you, we want to serve you in every way we can. We're just so grateful for all that you are and all that you do. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name.
Our music worship continues to touch my heart. I hope it does as you as well. Be still and know. If you take your Bibles or if you look upon the screen, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter was writing to a conglomerate of people some Jewish people, some Gentiles. It was to the people of God. 
mixed and from many nations. And he called them, in the NIV it says, God's special possession. The song that we sang had a particular people. Another version says, unique. Have you ever wondered in your mind or your thoughts and your devotions, what makes those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what makes Christians different than the rest of the world? What is it that makes us that unique people, that particular people, that special possession of God? We are a unique people. But what is the essence of our uniqueness? Why are we? When you boil it all down, what is it that makes us a unique people? Well, we should be good. That is a fact. We should live clean lives. We should live lives that are moral. We should live lives that are compassionate toward others. We should live those clean lives. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 through 11 says. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Very interesting phrases for you were once darkness. You. Me. But we were changed. We were transformed by the light of the Lord, by Jesus Christ. And he says, since you have been transformed, live as children of the light. So we are challenged, encouraged to live good lives. But then that brings to mind that there are a lot of people out there that we know, our neighbors, our friends, our family members, people that we're in clubs with. They make no pretense whatsoever about believing in God or believing in Jesus Christ, but they're moral people. They live uh, honest lives all through their work lives. They had honest business dealings or relationships. They were faithful in their marriage relationships. They were generous and compassionate in helping others. These people were not perfect, but guess what? Neither are we. They might get angry about something. Guess what? We might get angry about something. A clean, moral life, <coughs> it's what we're to live, but it is not the essence of a Christian's uniqueness. Well, we should be faithful. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. <coughs> loved the church and gave himself for it. He's the one that we worship, that is the head of the church. And I'm not talking about the building, I'm talking about the people. And for the majority of time in the New Testament, it is talking about the, the local body of believers. He's talking about us. 
He's the one who founded the church. And the church, the body of Christ, is central in God's divine purpose. It is spoken of as that, the body of Christ, of which Christ is the head. It's not God's plan that we go off into our own, that we are Lone Ranger Christians. He wants the body to be together, together, together. In fact, he, we are admonished to support the church and the church's mission and ministry, their work, in all ways, through our possessions, our time, our talents, our giftedness. The writer of Hebrews 10, 25 says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And not talking about just coming together as the body, but the things that we do, the ministries that we do, we're to be engaged in that. There's this idea of servanthood, not just coming on a Sunday. It's the idea that God has gifted us to do the work of ministry. So it's important that we are faithful to the work of the body of Christ, of which Christ is the head, of which he established for his purposes. But you know, when we look at the world with its brokenness and need, and it's come front and center with what's going on in Ukraine, you look at the 1.5 million people that are now displaced as refugees. You see the pain and the suffering that's taking place. And that is a picture of so many places around the world, whether they are in the midst of a war or not, there is so much need that we see in the world. It's broken. There's great need. We know for certain that God is interested in something much, much deeper than how we relate to the church as an institution. So as important as it is to be faithful to the body of Christ and the ministries which we have, that is not what makes God's people unique. So if goodness and if faithfulness to the body is not the sign or the characteristic of the uniqueness of God's people, then the question is, what is the essence of our uniqueness? Well, we are called on mission. That's the key. God first called individuals, or the individual. He called Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis, verses 1 through 3. The scripture says that the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. All of a sudden, God who created everything has come to Abraham, and he said, you, you're the one I have chosen. And it's through you and all of your seed that you're going to bless the world. The world's going to be blessed by you. All of a sudden, Abraham, the uniqueness of his calling was the mission that God had for him. There are two very important revelations that come from this. Number one, God revealed his purpose. 
His purpose, if you go back to this passage of Scripture, you find, he says, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, all the families of the, birth, of the earth are supposed to be blessed. That's what God's purpose is. A blessing, God's blessing to all the people. That's his ultimate purpose. Trying to bring them back together into this understanding of a relationship he desires with them. God's purpose is that all people everywhere know him as God and Father through his son Jesus Christ. That's what he's trying to get across. He's saying to Abraham, I'm calling you out. I'm going to show you a land. And all the people of the world are going to be blessed through you. If you're faithful, if you're obedient. So there's God's purpose. He wants to remake and redeem what has been marred by sin. That separation that moves us away from Him, breaks that fellowship. He says, I, I want to come and I want to repair it and redeem it. That's my mission. I want all the earth, the peoples of the earth, to be blessed. And it's going to come through you. We see that transformation in the beautiful illustration in jeremiah 18 well jeremiah goes to the potter's house and he sees the potter making something on the wheel and he finds that it's marred it's not it's not right and so he crushes it back together and he remakes it into another vessel of a different kind but one that is useful and that's what he wants to do to us to this world that uh, which has been marred which is all of us all of the world have sinned, the Bible says. And he wants to remake us into that fellowship that he desires us to be. So not only did he describe the purpose, he also described how he was going to do this. He said, you will be a blessing, Abraham. So there's a call to be on mission to the individual. We are all called through the transformation of Christ and hearing what he has to say, to say, I have a purpose for you. I have a mission for you. You see, it was Abraham's basic call, God's basic call to Abraham. It wasn't a call for Abraham to accept something or to receive something. The basic call of Abraham was a call to mission. It was God's mission of reconciliation, to reconcile a lost world to himself. That which he created to be back in fellowship with him. You go back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and the Apostle Paul talks about this ministry of reconciliation. God desires that because he loves us unconditionally. This covenant was repeated to Abraham's son Isaac, and then it was repeated to Isaac's son Jacob, and then Jacob's son Joseph, The Israelites, they came into Egypt. And they did not leave for a long, long time. The reason? Because they came there because of a famine. Joseph had been elevated to a place that he could bring his family in, and they multiplied until they became a security threat to the Egyptians. 
And then the Egyptians put them into slavery. And for 400 years, they were treated harshly. And God heard them. His people, from the seed of Abraham, he heard them. And so he raised up Moses. And Moses was sent. The call, the mission of Moses was to go to Pharaoh and to lead the people of Israel out of bondage to that land that God had promised Abraham. He said, I'm gonna, I have a land for you. Well, Abraham stayed on that land, but he didn't possess it. But now he says, now I'm going to have a people. It's interesting, because up until that time, God primarily had been working through individuals. But now God was calling a people. There was a transition point taking place from the call of Abraham to the call of Moses. Now he says, you, you, Israel, you are going to be my people. And so God calls a people. He calls the individual to be on mission for him. Now he calls a people. If you look to the Old Testament, you find in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through 8, the scripture says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant... Then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. <coughs> and these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words God had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So now we have a change taking place. Israel and God had entered into a covenant relationship. Remember those covenant relationships are the if and then. If you do these things, then I will do this. And God said, if you will be the people that I have called you to be, with this idea of uniqueness that you are a holy nation, you are a kingdom of priests. Then I'll make sure you get into that land flowing with milk and honey, and I will be with you throughout your time. <coughs> if you obey me, if you will be a kingdom of priests, then I'll keep my covenant. It's a call to mission. It was a call to be a kingdom of priests. And so the question is, well, what is it that a kingdom of priests, what does a priest do? Related back to the Old Testament, what is the function of a priest? Well, one function is to be a mediator between God and his people, to bring God and sinful man back together. That's what the nation of Israel was called to do, to be a lighthouse, to bring the lost humanity, all the peoples of the earth together. You notice in that passage in Exodus, he said of all the peoples on the earth, because I own all everything, but I have chosen you as a people to be a kingdom of priests. God was willing and calling Israel to be a nation of priests in terms of his redemptive purpose so that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed, which was the original calling and mission and revelation that he gave in Genesis. And Israel said in verse 8, all that the Lord 
has spoken, we will do. I think they had good hearts, and I think that, man, they were so touched, and they said, yes, this is what we're going to do. But life gets in the way, doesn't it? And through the course of time, Israel failed to be the kingdom of priests, a, a priestly nation, a, a holy people and nation. There were many in Israel that I believe accepted God, they believed God, they worshipped God, but just somewhere along the line, they lost the intensity of the covenant relationship and their purpose of being a kingdom of priests. They became more and more concerned about the present. How do we, how do we make sure that we have enough? They, they focus upon our family, our little part of the world. They, they get comfortable. And so here they were called to be a light to the nations, but that light was focused on what they were doing. And so they failed in that way. And I'll tell you what, the Old Testament prophets tried to expose this, tried to communicate to them. Through Isaiah, he said, you are a people laden with iniquity, with sin. Ezekiel said, your hands are full of blood. Isaiah again said, you have become a religious people rather than an obedient people. So they were very good about their traditions and their rituals, but they had lost the context, the meaning of what that was. To be a kingdom of priests, to, to bring sinful people back into a relationship to a holy god and so time after time israel would go back into bondage and they would repent and then god would bring them back and establish them again and they would be good for a while and that cycle just continued on it continued on even into the New Testament days, you think about the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. I talk about people who were very religious and people who were very legalistic in what they did, but there wasn't heart to it. Jesus had the most serious conflicts with these religious leaders from the kingdom of priests. They challenged his authority, they rejected his message and his work. They were religious people, but they did not fulfill God's call. In fact, Jesus, Jesus said, you are like whitewashed tombs. You're really nice on the outside, and you speak the right language, and you're doing the right kinds of things, but inwardly, you're just dead. And so God had called Israel to be a kingdom of priests for a purpose of communicating and being a light to the world to bring sinful people back into a relationship with God. God said in Jeremiah 31, 31, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with my people of Israel and with the people of Judah. He said, listen, there's a new covenant coming. They're pointing toward what Jesus was going to be doing. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 28, he said, this blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, 
It was showing all of those in the upper room, his disciples, my time is coming. I am starting from this Passover meal to a new covenant, just like Jeremiah said was going to happen. But there's a transition taking place because Israel was not the kingdom of priests that God called them to be. But God's plan was still going to be accomplished regardless. And so we understand about the crucifixion. In fact, in just a few moments, we're going to be observing the elements, remembering what Christ has done for us. And I say for us because that's critical. Because there was a change taking place. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. There is a transition taking place because God said, listen, as a kingdom of priests, you have not fulfilled your covenant. But now, through Jesus Christ, the message, the light of the world will now go to both, both the Jews and the Gentiles. And there is an inclusiveness so that all people on the earth can be blessed. And guess what? We are part of that now. I want to read verse 9 of 1 Peter again. And he's writing basically to a Gentile audience, but also reflects upon the Jews. Because of our faith in Christ, he's saying, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. Because of our salvation, because we've gone from darkness to light, guess what? Now, now we all who have a faith in Christ are that royal priesthood. We all are now that kingdom of priests. We are now, now that holy, holy people. And he said the reason for that is because now you saw the light. And he says, that you may declare the praises of him who brought that salvation. So now we have that covenant. That covenant started way back with Abraham. That covenant worked through the people of Israel as the kingdom of priests, and now through Jesus Christ, he is inclusive to us. They say, here's who you are, but it's not a position, and it's not a title. He said, you have this, you are this, because you are to declare the praises of him. In other words, communicate that wonderful light that you came to out of darkness. And so now the responsibility is on us. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, John said that he has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. He made us that. 
So, now we are the ones that are called precisely for that same purpose. We're the ones who are called on God's mission. We are the kingdom of priests. A Jew and Gentile, every single person who's been transformed by Jesus. So if God's people are a unique people, what is the essence of their uniqueness? Well, what we have talked about this morning is that God's people believe in God, but that's not it. God's people are good in terms of their personal morality, but that's not it. And God's people are a religious people, but that's not it. God's people are called on mission. God's mission, that's what makes us unique from all the peoples of the earth. The scripture tells us five different locations in the Gospels and in one letter. In one way or another, that we are responsible for the Great Commission. And it is straightforward. And so we always talk about the Great Commission. We always talk about the need to go and communicate the gospel. Here's where the roots come from. From Abraham to the kingdom of priests, Israel. And now God has opened it to all of us through Christ. But like all those covenants, it's the if and then. If you will be the kingdom of priests God has called you to be through Christ then I will bless you and I will encourage you. And guess what else? All the peoples on the earth will be blessed. That's what he wants us to do. That's what his purpose is. And I ask you, if you will, this morning, to make that commitment to be all that God wants you to be on mission. And if you don't know Christ this morning, this would be a great opportunity to ask him to come into your life or to join this church and be a part of our mission that is God's mission. Or to rededicate or recommit your life so that you can be the person God has called you and us to be. Whatever it is. In this invitation, I would ask you to make that decision in a public way or right where you are. In just a few moments, you'll be standing. And in the same time, prepare yourself as we prepare to observe the Lord's Supper. Father, as we move to this invitation, our prayer specifically is that you would speak to us and help us to be the unique people that you have called us by covenant to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Stand and let's sing our invitation.
Go ahead and be seated if you would. Um, we have, uh, Nancy has a few things to share with you, and then we're going to prepare ourselves to observe the Lord's Supper, okay? In the lobbies this morning, there are some sign-up sheets. One for the movie Risen, which will be on Thursday, the 24th. If you want to come for lunch at 12.30 at a cost of $5, we need you to sign the sign-up sheet. There is no cost for the movie. If you want to come at 1 o'clock for a popcorn movie and water, but the movie is Risen. Also on sale today are tickets for our Spring Fling, which will be on Sunday evening, March the 27th. We will have a fried chicken dinner with all the trimmings. And the Matney brothers from Scottsdale, they've been with us before. You will not want to miss them. So hopefully you will begin buying those tickets today. They'll be on sale for a couple of more weeks after today. And then you've seen some boxes beautifully decorated in both lobbies, decorated for Easter. And in those boxes are plastic Easter eggs. Asante Church, one of our partners that we're helping to get started, has requested plastic Easter eggs, empty ones, for a community-wide egg hunt that they will be having. So they need a lot of eggs. And it's my understanding that there's a little bit of competition between us, Grand Community Church, and Surprise in First Sun City. I don't know what the prize is, but let's keep bringing those eggs. <clears throat> Another thing is sign up for pizza on Wednesday evening, March the 23rd. Partners on Mission, do you see a pattern here of food? But on Wednesday the 23rd, there will be pizza and salad prior to us hearing from Pastor Francis, who is pastor of the Solution International Church, another one of our ministry partners. So a lot of sign-ups, we need to hear from you. There'll be more opportunities, but the eggs need to come back at the latest next Sunday. Thank you. I would ask you if you would just to bow your heads as our deacons make their way uh, to prepare for the Lord's Supper. So if you just take some time and prepare yourself spiritually to observe the elements. Others, we prepare ourselves. The memorial table is not just an add-on. This morning, we have been very focused upon your purpose. Through your progressive revelation through the Old Testament and your call to Abraham, to Moses, to the people of Israel, and Father, now to all who would call upon the name of Jesus. All of it focuses upon your son Jesus, who sacrificed and gave his life, spilt his blood and his body beaten, taking all of our sins upon the cross of Calvary so that we might have everlasting life. 
beginning that fellowship at the point in which we ask Christ to come into our lives. And so I pray as we prepare to take these elements that we will remember your sacrifice and all that you've done. And Father, our prayer is very specifically, speak to us and help us to be the holy people that you have set apart for your work with an understanding of the bread and the juice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Jesus said, take eat, this is my body. Bill, would you lead us in prayer, symbolizing the bread as the body of Christ and the juice as the blood of Christ? We'd appreciate it. May we pray. Lord, in your gospel, you spoke to your disciples on the night that you were to be crucified. Your message was a simple one to them, as it is to us today. Do this in remembrance of me. So, Lord, we do that this day. The bread, remembrance of your body the juice and remembrance of the blood that you shed on the cross for each of our sins, that through this blood, this blood shed, we can have the gift of eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask it.
Jesus said, drink from you all of this, because this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you the truth, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the time I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. It's a point of celebration because we're briefly in this place. But the excitement of drinking it anew with the Father when we come into his presence is a blessing. And we want as many as possible to be able to experience that. As we get ready to leave, be that wonderful light everywhere you go. It is good to have uh, some family members here from some of our members. I met a number of you, and thank you for being here today. I have my nephew from Chicago and his son, uh, Bob and uh, Cameron. It's good to have you all with us. Um, and uh, I know the Dole has some, and uh, Tom has some back here. There's probably others. It's good to have you, but it's good to have each and every one of you because there's nothing like the body of Christ getting together, the family of faith, especially the days that we remember. If you'll bow, stand and bow for our closing prayer. It's also very good to have Paul Barnes with us today. We have prayed for him also. Join me in prayer. Our dear, most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day we could come together, observe the Lord's Supper in the house for you, dear Lord. Thank you so much for getting the Son down the cross so we can be free to worship, to pray straight to you, as Brother Kennedy had just spoken about. And dear Lord, just pray now and thank you so much that you chose us as your people. Dear Lord, just pray now as we go our separate ways today that each one of us, the people we come in contact with this week, will see you through each and every one of us. For all these things we ask in your holy and precious name. Amen. <laughs>